All right, well, if you would turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5, we are engaging once again the beginning of this year by setting some things in place from this passage, uh, just a rich, rich passage. And the timeliness of the Lord this morning, we, we are landing in a passage in, in chapter 5, verse 6, uh, that really features all that we've been talking about with Eric and, and Aaron and what God is leading them to do into the future. Uh, and we are calling this morning when this is a rebooting of providence, right? And so for us to do life, we need to have an understanding of how God is providentially involved in the details of the life that you and I are living. So I've got too many uh, titles for today's message. I think I encounter, uh, call it encountering might and casting cares because that's what we're going to see in the passage. Uh, but I think a more heartfelt title would sound something like, how on earth did I get here? Right? Do you ever have a moment, a season where just the way things have unfolded for you, you just kind of look around, you look at where you've arrived, you look at how life feels, you look at people and settings and you just, how on earth did I get here? How did this happen? Well, this morning, um, this passage is going to help us see how things happen in the world that we live in. We've all got providential dealings that have been going on in our lives, ways in which God has been engaging the details of our lives behind the scenes long before we knew anything of what he was doing. This morning's that way as you listen to Eric's story, right? Here, here's the backstory, the providential backstory for uh, where these guys are headed. Uh, about this time of year, maybe January-ish of 1993, um, a dear friend and co-laborer in the gospel was going to ask me to go to lunch. And at that lunch, he was going to tell me that the, he felt like the Lord was leading him to interview at a church in Texas. Uh, at this point, he had been in the church here. He, I'd known him before he was on staff here. He'd been on staff at about five or six years, I think, at that point in his life. And, and he was one of the dearest friends I'd ever had. And we were doing youth ministry together and to have him say, I, I think I may be moving on from here was gut wrenching. There were lots of tears in that moment for me. And then eventually there'd be lots of tears for the whole church as that really was what God was doing. And, and about this time of year, he had gone and he had interviewed and he had talked to that church and prayed and was feeling like, yeah, that's what God has for us next. Um, well, providentially, the season that was leading up for me in that moment, that Gina and I had been praying throughout 1992, pretty much most of the year. We'd been married for about a year at that point. And that year just began to be disturbing for us in the sense of calling that God had on my life and more and more paying attention to this inner prompting of following God into full-time ministry and being a pastor full-time. I was, I was working uh, not in, in ministry at the time. And, you know, and our church wasn't of a size that they could just turn around and hire people. It just looked like there was no opportunity here. And so we were praying in the summer of 92, 
should we sell our house? Should I go to seminary um, and, and just walk down that road through that means? And we have meetings with folks and we prayed. And, and finally, in August of 1992, the Lord just pretty much applied this passage in 1 Peter 5 without me thinking it through this way. But it was pretty much the Lord saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, I'll take care of this. I'll exalt you. And I wish I'd paid more attention to that verse back then. That would have been helpful to see the game plan all coming to play. Uh, but we didn't wait. I did. I, I just felt like, okay, Lord, you've not opened any other doors for us. I don't know what else to do. Our, our, we're conflicted on the inside. We feel one way on the outside. There's just no opportunities here for us. I'm just going to humble myself before you, Lord, and I'm just going to serve where I am. I'm going to go to work every day. Like this is a job you've given me. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to serve in the church. Any doors that you open for me to serve, I'll walk through faithfully. And so from August of 92, that's what we did. And then in January of 93, about five or six months later, I had this conversation with my dear friend, Billy Rays, who moves to Midland, Texas. And then the church turns around in February of 1993 and says, hey, would you would you pray about coming on here and becoming a staff member in the church? And so that... That sovereign activity was God's means of relocating Billy to do ministry in Texas and then also answering a direction for my own life and Gina as well as we would serve here. But isn't it interesting in the providence of God that 28 years later, uh, that move has opened the door for Eric and Aaron to take their next step in God as well. So, you know, you and I aren't paying attention to these details, right? There's no way we could that... 20 years from now, 28 years from now, stuff that was happening around you was God providentially doing something that was going to answer something in your life. He was putting these things in place. and There's just no way you and I could know these kinds of details. So I, you know, I don't know whether you know, 2020 and 2021 has turned into a kind of a 1992 for, for Gina and I. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe there's this sense of the next step a life with questions, where are the options? What do we pursue? Is this the timing of Lord? And how do we even walk this out? Um, These are those moments when we need a, a providential reboot, right? We need to reboot that sense of awareness that God acts providentially in our lives. And so that's what we're gonna pick up in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Today, let's read this passage again. It's, it's so rich and helpful. Peter turning to Christians like us or just looking to walk the next year out with the Lord. He says, okay, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your cares or your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Right? This, this verse here, we started it last two weeks ago and, and looked at 
God calling us into flocks to have real shepherds that are in our lives. We looked last week at our posture to humble ourselves before our creator. I mean, this passage for me is like a Swiss army knife. You know, you just keep, it's got more stuff just to unfold in it. Okay, this week, hey, look at that. Wow, that'll be handy when we have this. That's what this verse is for us. And I love the fact that it's, it's just keeping it real here. You know, if you're one of those Christians who wonders, why is this so hard? Why do the wheels seem to be coming off? Why am I so afraid of things? Why am I so troubled? Well, you're in this passage. The apostle Peter was inspired to include all of us in this passage. There's real trouble in this passage. You're going to go do life and you're going to be anxious about stuff. You're going to be fearful about things. You're going to have cares. That's why you're being told what to do with them because you're going to have them. And then there's this personal being out there, right? He's not bad luck. He's not chance. He's a personal entity. And that, that makes, and I'll talk about this next week, but that makes a whole different issue for us that there's a personal being called the devil. That personal being, he knows personal things about you. When he goes to mess with your world, he's just not the principle of trouble out there. He specifically knows how to trouble you. He's personal. And that's going to come your way in the coming year. And so so we're informed. So if we're in a place where we feel like, man, the weaknesses, the anxieties, the vulnerabilities about me are getting the best of me right now. And man, just the right buttons are being pushed. Okay, that's in this verse. But what we get in this verse is God's resume that you and I need to look to so that we can cast our cares on him. You have a God in this verse who we are to humble ourselves before because he's a mighty God. He's not a pretty powerful God, pretty good on his good day. This is not God. He is mighty God and and he is sovereign over time. He's able to guarantee things to you and show up and deliver exactly when he says he will do that. You've got to control a lot of stuff to make deliveries arrive exactly when you say they're going to arrive with all this other factors going on. And he's in charge of the outcomes. He guarantees you in this passage, he will exalt you at the right time. So this is, this is a, a presentation of the providence of God. The God who acts in our lives intentionally, in details, accomplishing everything that he wants to accomplish in exactly the time that he wants to accomplish it. If you're looking for a big theological word, that's called providence. Paul Helm in his book on the providence of God says, as the word providence indicates, the providence of God is a rather formal way of referring to the fact that God provides, right? Provide is tucked away inside the word providence. It may be helpful to keep the idea that God provides continually in mind, right? So right now today, God, you, you are providing right now in my life. Isn't that a helpful thought for your soul right now to know that? J.I. Packer in his book, Concise Theology, he says, if creation was a unique exercise of divine energy causing the world to be, providence is a continued exercise of that same energy whereby the creator, according to his own will, listen, he keeps all creatures in being He involves himself in all events and he directs all things to their appointed end. 
The model is of purposive personal management. That's what God's doing right now. Purposive personal management with total hands-on control. God is completely in charge of his world. His hand may be hidden, but his rule is absolute. Listen, the doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces. Fortune, chance, luck, fate, all that happens to them is divinely planned. All that happens in our lives is divinely planned. You and I are never living our lives under the forces that are blindly, just randomly showing up in our world. This isn't luck. It's not fate. You're not in the wrong place at the wrong time. When you and I ask that question, how did I, how on earth did I get here? Can I just tell you right now, it wasn't bad luck. It wasn't misfortune. It wasn't karma or fate or any other force out there. You are where you are because of the providential activity of God in this world and in your life. And so this verse is going to invite us to do something, right? At some point, we're going to be invited to cast our cares on God, right? This is, this is the apostle Peter preparing us for it to make sense to us that, hey, wouldn't it make sense for me to just take all the things that I'm concerned about and freaked out about and just entrust them to God? Wouldn't it just make sense? Well, I don't know. Can he handle it? What's he going to do with it? Is it I mean, he's got game. He can, he can manage all that I would give to him. And that's what he's answering here. And he's going to introduce us to, to this almighty God. This submit yourself, subject yourself, humble yourself to this God who is mighty and in control of time and in control of the outcomes of your life. That's the God who you're going to submit your cares to, right? I wrote this in your outline. These are not just great characteristics about God, right? God's really, I mean, he's like exceptional in some of these categories. They are ultimate and unrivaled characteristics of God. He is not just mighty, but he is almighty. He is not just timely or even engaging time. He is sovereign over time. You understand this God exists outside of time. He does not submit to time. He doesn't show up when time allows him to show up. He doesn't have to wait for anything. You understand he is sovereign over time. The concept of time answers to his being. You and I know nothing about that. I can't even imagine whatever the heck I just said. Because I report to time all the time. I live in this moment. I have no ability to be outside of this moment. That's not God. He doesn't live that way. He's not just a strong ally in our lives. He is the ultimate determiner of our story and our status. He's not just a big help. He's much bigger than that. So let me talk about providence on two scales here. I'll I'll just move quickly through this first one. Because ultimately, we want to know that providence is going to show up personally, right? 
But you can't detach personal providence from grand scale universal providence, right? There is a need in my soul to know God's running everything. Because if I ever get wind that there's a few things out there that God's not running, then I've got a whole new set of anxieties and fears because I'm thinking there's part of the universe that, that doesn't answer to God anymore. And what might that mean? What might that mean for our future? How much confidence can I have in what's going to happen to me next and what God promises will happen to me next, right? All that comes into question. But if God is managing everything in his universe, well, then I'm going to be able to believe that God is managing me as well and the personal stuff going on in my world, right? So here's a quick providence on a grand scale lesson. Hey, if you really want to dig into this, I understand John Piper's coming out with a book on Providence in March. It's 752 pages just on Providence. It's just called Providence and it's 752 pages. So I have a little bit of mercy for me today. And like, Keith, you didn't cover this or this or this. You're exactly right. We'd be here until March actually, but Colossians 1 verse 15 says, he is speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That's a massive statement. I wish I had more time with these verses, but can you just imagine God never does life where he comes upon something and he goes, hmm, what's that? He never has to scratch his head. Everything that exists, it exists because he's God and he has ordained it to exist. He could never be surprised by anything. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So everything that's holding the universe together in its existence is something that's currently being done by God. It's not something, well, when he started things, he kind of used some really great glue so that at creation, everything stayed glued together. And I don't know where God is now. He's off doing his own thing somewhere else. No, no, no. Everything is held together by God actively participating in the world that he created. So he's not at a distance. Hebrews 1, verse 3, great image here. He says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds, that's a current present tense activity. Right now, Jesus Christ is upholding this universe and its existence. But this word is an interesting word. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology defines that word. He says, the Greek word translated uphold is pharaoh. It means to carry or to bear something. This is commonly used in the New Testament for carrying something from one place to another. So just bringing paralyzed man on a bed to Jesus, bringing wine to the steward of the feast. It does not mean simply sustain but has the sense of active, purposeful control over the thing being carried from one place to another. I love this image. 
This pulls God into the equation of my life in a very different feeling way. There's no way that I have this image that God is off in a distance sitting down and creation is doing its own thing. No, no, creation sits in the hands of God being carried from one place to another. Right, so there's a, there's a Sunday agenda in God for today. And then there's going to be a Monday one tomorrow. And God is going to move his creation from one place to another. He is upholding. He is current. He is right now taking our lives somewhere on purpose. Not an accident. On purpose. See, I, I, I can't think of a greater thing because you know, all, all creation struggles to find out a purpose for our lives. Our purpose is wherever God is headed with this creation. And you and I are part of creation. So, you know, don't, don't think that the, the big picture can go somewhere that you're not going. God doesn't operate the universe this way, but leaves you over here unattended. So the days of my life and the seasons that I'm in and the troubles that I'm having... God's not paying attention to that. Everything you're reading, Keith, that's, a, that's about the big picture stuff that God does. No, no, no. You can't move the big picture without moving the little parts. It's not how creation works. and It's not how God governs. So he is moving every one of our lives on purpose from one place to another, being carried by God. Ephesians 1.11, Paul explains it this way. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. These are big phrases. These are powerful things. These are challenging realities. But whether we can answer all of our questions to them or not, they need to be the realities that they are. They are real. This is the way the universe is. This is how God governs. That before any of us existed, before we got into a pickle, or before things were going great, or before we drew a breath, or even knew anything of consciousness, there was a God who had already predestined things, and that he had purposed something, and he is now working all those things according to his will. It's answering to his will. What he wants next is what the entire universe, as well as my particular story, is answering to. So, you know, just here this morning, I can stare into an event that takes somebody who's been in my life for 20 something years and I can stare at it and say, you know, I'm I'm not crazy about any of those days coming to an end. I'm not crazy about sharing this even with one of my best friends in life in Midland, Texas. If I had my way, that's not how this would be unfolding. But all this has been pre-planned by God to work according to his will. Now that makes me stare at this moment quite differently because I'm not staring into it going, what the heck? Uh, Does God even know this is going on? I mean, this is just not. And that's how we can engage life without rebooting our understanding of providence. God is involved. Here's some details. And then we could spend hours and hours, 750 pages. Job 37 verse 11. Job says, speaking of God, he loads the thick cloud with moisture. 
Clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. All right, do you understand what this verse wants you to do? And maybe you and I should do this more often. When you see that dark cloud coming, stop and consider. Oh, well, yeah, I understand the moisture table and how it does. And there's evaporation and there's condensation. And, well, I'm glad you can explain all that scientifically. Congratulations. But the Bible actually says God loaded that cloud with moisture. Yeah, okay, Keith. But yeah, you know, evaporation. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I know. God uses a bunch of stuff to do what he does. But at the end of the day, that cloud has moisture in it because God loaded it with moisture. That lightning that just came out of there, God did that. The movement of the cloud when it goes from here to here across your skyline, God did that. And Job wants us to see it. Not just because we could all live the rest of our lives being at peace because God's in charge of the clouds, right? This is not about clouds, is it? This is not why we get this revelation. We get to stare at the clouds so that we can go, not just the clouds, God, but me, my life too. You load my life up. You do things in my life. And he says, whether, verse 13, whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. Daniel chapter four is an interesting moment. We get to meet with, at that point, uh, most powerful man on the planet. The guy who is conquering one kingdom after another. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. He's conquering Israel. He shows up and, you know, the guy just, he's he's undefeated. Nobody can stop him. He goes from place to place doing whatever he wants. That'll foster a little pride in you, right? So he's not a humble man before God. He's a proud man. And so God decides to humble him under the mighty hand of God. And pretty much Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. Go read Daniel chapter four. The guy goes nuts. And then God allows him to come back to his senses. And this is what he says when he does. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Can I just tell you, if you'd had a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar on the pre-crazy side... Um, there wasn't a lot of blessing God and praising him and honoring him. There was a lot of, I'm the man. I am the man. Watch me conquer this group. Watch what I do next. And all of his hope was based in what he could pull off next for his life and for his kingdom. But when God humbled him, now he's got a different song to sing, right? And this is what humility before God should do to us. It, it should put us in a place to bless the most high, to praise and to honor him, right? With accurate knowledge, he says, here's why. Because his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. I mean, now he's cluing in. My kingdom's probably not going to do that. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
Right? So these are God on the grand scale, right? This is how God runs his universe. This is how he is involved in it, managing it, carrying it from place to place, no matter what anybody wants. I don't want to be over here, Jesus. I want to be over there. Uh, my will is going to be done in this universe. No matter how much the devil resists or somebody else resists, God is taking each of us and his universe to exactly where he plans for it to go according to his will. But what does that mean for us personally? Let's interact with a fellow named John Frame, wrote a systematic theology book. John's a wonderful thinker. And he's going to pull this to a personal level, right? Let me just read John's thoughts. He says, but God does not only control the course of nature and the great events of history. God controls the course of each human life. How could it be otherwise? If God does not control a vast number of individual human lives, it's hard to imagine how he would be able to control the great developments of history. In fact, scripture does also teach explicitly that God controls the course of our individual lives. That control begins before we were conceived. This is what God says to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You and I get a behind-the-scenes conversation, which God has very few that he reveals. But you have a behind-the-scenes conversation, a providential revelation of how did Jeremiah get there? He's a prophet to the nations. How did you get there, man? Well, God says, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So in Jeremiah's day, and if you read Jeremiah's story, he's got lots of reasons to go, how on earth did I get here? (laughs) He had a hard job and a difficult time, and he would have been asking lots of questions. How on earth did he get here? I appointed you to be right there. And I don't run off from this first just yet. Do you fit in that conversation with God? Or is this just a Jeremiah thing? Does God speak into your life and providentially act in your life and in my life in such a way that I could say, God appointed me to blank. Is your life a bunch of random accidents or has God been appointing things and people and places and activity and relationships and jobs and titles? Has God been behind that? Or is he just kind of hands off at a distance, right? I mean, we see from scripture, God is behind these things. John Frame goes on and says, is Jeremiah an exception to the general rule because he's a God's prophet or does God know us all before conception? If God knew Jeremiah before his conception, then God must have arranged for one particular sperm to reach one particular egg to produce each of Jeremiah's ancestors back to Adam and then Jeremiah himself. So God is in control of all the accidents of history to create the precise person he seeks to employ as his prophet. 
So the whole history of human procreation is under God's control as he acts intentionally to bring about the conception of each of us. And of course, God is also active after the child's conception as he is formed in the womb. In Psalm 139, King David revisits his origins. He takes some things into his heart and his mind. I wonder what was going on in David's life. David lived a colorful life. He had moments where he needed to cast his anxieties on the Lord. And I wonder if this is where he reminds himself in these moments. Listen to what he says in Psalm 139. For you, you God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My soul didn't just know it. My soul knows it very well. Right? Is there a reality that when you and I go to do life at some point, my soul needs to know very well before I ever got to this moment, God had been at work. All the way back to before I ever knew anything or was conscious of anything, God was forming me in my mother's womb. God was behind that. The details, the experiences, the way in which I'm wired, things about me long before I ever could have volunteered for anything, agreed to anything, understood anything. God was already at work. Does my soul know that very well? Does your soul know that? And I I know right now you could sit here and break out a list of things you like about yourself and things you don't like about yourself. Things you wish were different. Things you wish you were better at. Things you wish you could do differently. But does my soul know well right now God has been at work creating who I am and appointing and ordaining purposes for me? Verse 15, he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Is that a little mind blowing? That there are details about our lives that existed long before you and I did anything in this world. Healthy, unhealthy, eat right, don't eat right. Right, and listen, you know, read the rest of your Bible. This isn't an invitation for recklessness, by the way, right? We don't read this and go, oh, well, I guess it just doesn't matter. Well, no, you read the rest of the Bible and you'll find out it does matter. But there's something about this truth right here that needs to inform. I need a reboot of my providential understanding, right? Can I just tell you, I've I've watched way too much fear in the body of Christ with this COVID event. Way too much. Can I just tell you, for some, it feels like somebody broke the news to you that you're mortal, It's like, I don't know, up until this time, I had a cape on. I was flying around. Never thought anything would kill me. But all of a sudden, there's this thing called COVID. I could catch it and die. Oh, and fear showed up. Like, I've never seen you be so afraid of something. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying be reckless and don't be wise and don't take precautions, et cetera, et cetera. But can you cling to this? In your book, we're written 
every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I live under the shadow of the providence of God. He is providing for me. He provided days for me. He ordained days for me. I'm going to be humanly responsible, but I'm going to take shelter in that fact. I'm not going to do things that would be self-destructive because that's unbiblical that I would do that. But I'm not going to live like, oh my gosh, I've got to do everything exactly right. I've got to, you know, give me eight masks. I mean, whatever it's going to take. Let me just breathe out of an oxygen tent all the time because, oh, I could, I could get COVID. You could, you could. Yeah. You get a lot of things, by the way. You can die in a car wreck on the way home today. You probably could get something else in your body that could really freak you out if you knew that, okay, now you only got this much time. Well, who controls the time? There's a God who is sovereign over time. There's a God who is sovereign over our lives. He reigns over all these things. And when we humble ourselves under this God's mighty hands, this is who we're relating to. The God who does this long before we came along. John Frame says, so our very existence as human beings is by God's gift of life. Further, we are who we are individually by God's Providence, we are who we are individually by God's providence, right? So there's some things about our lives that we want to rewind it and wonder, how did we, how did we get here? Wait, wait, what happened to my past? Why is this the way things are? You do recognize at some point you're going to review some things where there was a fork in the road and you went one way and you're going to wonder, what if I had gone the other way? Your individual story under the providence of God, it's got opportunities in it that other people didn't have. And it's got limits in it that other people didn't have. And you're going to view that at some point. You're going to press the rewind button on that and you're going to wonder, wait, well, why do they get to? How come they got this? How come she was that? Um, There's a providential God. Who provided you to have the life that you have. That's not the same as what he provided for somebody else to have. Listen, is that answer going to be okay? Are you going to feel like, well, you know, if I had just decided this. If I'd have gone to that school. If I'd have done this thing. If I'd have gotten around the right people. In God's providence, there are opportunities and limitations all over our lives. You have certain talents, right? Talented at some things. And you're terrible at other things, aren't you? There are some things. Go try and do them. You're never going to be good at it. Right? I mean, some of us would be horrified if we invited you up to play the piano for us this morning. And if you practice and practice and practice and came back next week and came back next year, we'd still be horrified when you were done playing. There's things in our lives that, that providentially God has made us really good at this and really not good at that. Does my soul know these things well? Can I live at peace or do I just feel like I got ripped off? And if I had just, and if I had made my life this, and we live torturing ourselves under these ideas. Here's a, here's a big reality. Individually, God has providentially been involved in our lives. Let me pull this into the people that are in your life for a second. Where do these people come from? I mean, let's face it. Most of us get we didn't exactly choose our family, right? You get that? 
you know, don't blame me for my family. It's kind of just who I popped in. Next thing you know, I shared an address with these people. I am not responsible for how weird they are. And then there's more people. They're friends in our lives. You're part of a church. You got around people. You made some decisions, right? How, how did the people get in your life? Is that providential? Do you see them there by God's provision? God provided these people. Some of them, it's kind of easy to say, well, of course God provided that person, but he definitely couldn't have given me that one. Um, well, where did they come from? Providential procreation. Genesis 4, verse 1. says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So when Eve looks at this new baby, where'd this baby come from? Well, I slept with my husband. Yeah, yeah. And there's also an evaporation rain thing going on too. I get that. But who's behind all this? Uh, the Lord. I have gotten this child from the Lord. Genesis four twenty five. you just get into the end of the same chapter. And she bore a son and she called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed. Where does Seth come from? God has appointed Seth for another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him. All right, now your understanding of providence is getting a little more complicated, isn't it? Are you paying attention to the characters? In Adam and Eve's life? When they had balloons and were throwing birthday parties for Cain, they could very easily see, ah, oh, Cain, what a gift from God. Were they still saying that about Cain when he came in from the field and he had killed Abel, their other son? I right, listen, I don't like that story. I don't like the event. Clearly Cain has done something evil and sinful and wrong. But here's the one thing you can't kick out the story. Where did Cain come from? He came from God. He is not some random event in Adam and Eve's life. And they acknowledge that from the very beginning, right? There's a moment in which Abraham and Sarah are waiting, hoping, giving up hope that they would ever have an heir. And in that moment when Abraham is almost 100 and Sarah is 75, uh, it seems ridiculous and impossible that they would ever have more children except for the providence of God, right? They didn't know First Peter 5, but it still applies to them. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and see what God will do, that at the proper time, he will exalt you. And listen to this verse in Genesis eighteen fourteen: Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, this is what the angel of the Lord says to them, as a couple at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. Now, how much detail, how much is God in the details of that? Right? Cause we're all pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, pretty awesome. Right? You got, you got people who have a track record of inability. She can't have children. She's never been able to have children, but under God's mighty hand, she can have children. This is how God operates, right? There, there is not another rule out there that God has to follow. 
So all this time, what has been impossible until this moment when the mighty God steps into and says, possible now, not only possible now, but possible exactly in this moment at the proper time, I will control the outcome. And what's the outcome going to be, God? It's going to be a son, not just a child. No, a son. All right. So now God's getting very specific, isn't he? And this son's going to be the heir. Now, how far do you want to go into the specifics of For that child to be a son, that means his chromosomes in his body have to be a certain thing. Otherwise, you're not a boy. You're a girl. Now, this is part of our world that we live in. I know it's very confusing, but it's pretty clear with God. God doesn't say, hey, you're going to have a child. We'll figure out whatever it is, or he'll figure it out. She'll figure it out. No, he doesn't. He says, no, you're going to have a son. Why are you going to have a son? Because I'm going to cause the chromosomes of that child to be exactly what they're going to be. Can you go a little bit step further than that? Because if God knit Isaac together in his mother's womb, then everything Isaac is providentially provided by God too. His hair color, whether or not he's going to lose his hair, his height, his weight, his stature, his personality, all these things God was at work with. And then he's going to come into a family and he's going to be Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son with all these characteristics. And at some point he's going to live life. And, you know, if that life goes pleasant and wonderful, we all go, oh, God has provided. But if he goes sideways, did God not provide? Is that not God's providential activity in their lives? Listen, it gets hard later on in life to say Cain was providentially the Lord. Jeremiah, hey, God, thanks for telling me that, you know, you appointed me a prophet uh, can I just let you know, no one around here believes that. <laughs> Nobody's listening to me. Nobody has come up after one of my messages and said, Pastor Jeremiah, that was the most convicting message I've ever heard. I just want to follow God from now on. No, no, God, they beat me, stone me, stick me in jail, but they'll listen to all the other prophets that you said you didn't appoint them. This is so confusing, Lord. But we know the facts are, Jeremiah is appointed by God. There are people in our lives that are appointed by God. They are in our lives by God's design. And they got names, maybe Cain's and Jeremiah's and Isaac's, that God has been behind placing them in our lives. So if, if I know this to be true, I might look at people a little bit differently in my world. They're just not these obnoxious creatures that I got to put up with. No, no, God has been putting people in my life because God is taking my life and his creation in purposeful intention to the next place. And they are a part of that. And whether they're nice characters or not nice characters, they fit in his purpose in some way that we have to entrust God with them. So listen, this is, this is the truth of our lives, right? I'm going, to spell, I'm going to leave you in your notes there. You can go look at Psalm 139. At some point, because I know this is a reality. Hearing about providence doesn't erase the pain of this world, does it? 
it's, it's still painful. Okay, I, I know Cain came from God, but he killed my son. And providence and pain sit in the same conversation in that moment. And there are things in our lives for King David to write Psalm 139 with a great awareness of all God's specifics and his intentionality. But yet he's going to be betrayed by one of his own children who, who raises up a coup against him. He's going to be hunted down by a rival king who wants to take his life and he's going to be hiding in caves. Right In this moment, is God providential? Yes. He knit me together in my mother's womb? Yes, he did, David. How do you, I wonder how Psalm 139 comforted David after he had committed adultery. He himself had brought the ultimate failure into his own life, committed adultery and murder, and gave cause for other people to speak shamefully about the God that he served. And he had to pick himself up after that. And he had to providentially remind himself, God, you made me. You formed me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you imagine? He had to say that. And then when you read the rest of Psalm 139, you get this revelation where David says, Lord, so many thoughts you have toward me. They're too wonderful for me. Does that mean David's life didn't hurt? There was no pain in it? No, no. Providence does something else for us besides just make no pain in these moments. It brings an awareness of what God is and who he is to us and how our lives sit in his hands. It brings its own form of comfort and care and peace to us that I know right now I'm not out of bounds. God isn't forgotten about me. My life is not out of control. I may need that in a 2021 moment to have that rebooted in my awareness. All right, one last thought before I pray for us. This, this verse in 1 Peter, it, it invites us to encounter this mighty God. And then the next thing it says, it says, now cast your cares on him. He's got you. Because he cares for you. All right, so it's one thing to learn that God is mighty and God's almighty and God runs the universe. It's another thing to know that he cares for you. Right, take some time this week and meditate on the verse that's in your outline there. Remember this story. Jesus is sitting in a boat with his disciples. And I love the, the, the picture descriptive here. The winds begin to blow and the waves begin to crash against the boat. Right? His, this is life, right? Got winds blowing on your boat. And the water was coming into the boat. They're taking on water now. So now in the imagination of all the disciples, we're going to sink. We're going to drown out here in the middle of this lake. And Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. And they ask him a question. And this is the question, right? This is the important question for those moments. Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? That's their question. Remember who they have in the back of the boat. They, they got in the boat knowing this is the guy we've watched him raise people from the dead. We've watched him cast out demons. He multiplies food for thousands. This guy is powerful. But do you care about us? Because it feels like right now we're going to take on water and die. And listen, 
That's why we need 1 Peter 5 going into this year because there are going to be moments when I need to cast my cares upon this mighty God who I'm known to do wonderfully powerful things way out there from creation to miracles to Jesus to other people I've known. But Jesus, do you care about me that way? Do you, are you going to show up for me in my moment of need that way? Yes, yes, Keith. Take out your Swiss Army knife when you need it. And cast your cares on him because he cares for you. It's personal. It's not just the mighty God of the universe. It's personal. Let's stand up together. Father, thank you for the richness of your word that we have been able to survey today and to hear about your might and your ability to pay attention to the details that we never even knew anybody needed to pay attention to. Some all the way back in creation, some before creation. You have had a plan and a will and you are working all things according to your will. God, here's what I know in this room right now. As Lord, we are encountering moments where we're wondering, can anything good come from this? Can my life take a good turn? Lord, is there an opportunity awaiting me? I feel like I'm at a dead end. How did I get to this place? Why are these people in my life? Lord, how come my life isn't different? Why isn't it like somebody else's? Why isn't it easier? Why isn't my storyline like a different person's storyline? Lord, it's in these moments. We need to be aware of your power. Lord, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Who can stop things in an instant? Who can change things in a moment? And, and who controls time and shows up, not just in a timely manner, but he's, he rules time. He makes time what it is. And he controls the outcomes of our lives and no one can stay his hand. No one, no one, not even us. We can't stay God's hand. But Lord, we can feel the water on our feet. Because the wind is blowing and our boat is taking on water and we are anxious, Lord. We are afraid. And God, this morning, would you help us? Would you remind us, this sovereign, powerful God, Lord, don't you care about what I'm going through? Don't you care about this moment of my fears? Lord, honest hearts here this morning are saying what your disciples said to you in that moment. Well, Lord, we live in another place than they did. We know that you care so much that you went to the cross to bear our sin and our shame and our broken lives and to restore us to God the Father, to do what we could never do for ourselves, to do what was hopeless in this world. You came to do. Lord, has anyone ever demonstrated care at the level that you have demonstrated care? You 
invaded our story. You didn't stand at a distance. You took on our humanity and you took on yourself, our sin and our brokenness because you care about us. And Lord, that's just not true in some big scheme of things. It's true personally for each and every one of us. Lord, how did we get where we are? And a better question, Lord, is how are we going to get out of here? How are we going to go forward? Lord, how are we going to have hope and have a good life? Well, God, we have encountered your might today. And Lord, we want to encounter it more. We want you to convince our souls of the mightiness of our God. But Lord, we want to also be convinced you care for us. You have come to us. You are in this with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. So Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, as we encounter the year 2021 and we stand in moments, moments where people are coming and going in our lives, moments where situations have intruded, Lord, that we would reboot your providence in our lives and take shelter in knowing that you reign over everything about us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey guys, we miss you at home. Great to see you. Great to join you in the live stream. Uh, hey, be praying for us in these 21 days. Check your apps, check your website, our website, so you can see how we're updating that in the next few days. And you guys, if you want to take a moment to greet or rub elbows with, with Eric and Aaron and their family upstairs in room 200, there's some food available to tide you over there while you're waiting to interact with those guys. And uh, we'll see you next week.